You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. and rewound i'm alan he's alan the talking dog and i am jimmy the talking chipmunk yo man <laughs> talking chipmunks are no joke you get high enough you're on some like crazy peyote and you see like a chipmunk being like <laughs> they, they look like they want to say something but then they run away because they're too nervous to say <laughs> it. <laughs> i just imagine seeing an actual live action chippendale Rescue Rangers, talking mice, talking chipmunks, fucking up my mind, man, if I saw that. I think that, like, Chipping Dales, like the dancing men in bow ties, ruined that for me. <laughs> you and me both, man. It's so confusing. I like Chippendale, the characters, but I feel like I can't do web search. <laughs> I'm like, how do I spell this? Lost and Rewound is the show where we dig back to your analog and digital recordings of the yesteryear. And when we say dig... They don't have to literally be buried in your backyard with your dead pets. Like, it doesn't have to be dead pets and recordings from your band. We know it that some people, some people are like, they'll never find it. They'll never know. It got put a treasure map, though, in my room just in case for Lost and Rewound. <laughs> Email us at lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Radio Free Brooklyn is a non-for-profit organization, and we're really proud to be a part of such a great community. Really amazing people, amazing shows, amazing ideas that are always at the forefront of internet radio, specifically. So if you want to contribute to the great cause of keeping Radio Free Brooklyn alive and kicking with... And free. And free, exactly. Keeping the free in Radio Free, please go to our pledge page at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge. Or you can donate directly to Lost and Rewound and keep us directly in motion. Yes. The wheels moving. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR. Be a sponsor. And and for you know either which way, just depending on whether or not you are contributing to the station or being a kind and generous sponsor for our show, any amount of money will count. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar or $2, $3. You can even, if you pay enough money, you could probably even get the studio named after you. I'm just throwing it out there, Mom, okay? I'm you just could saying. donate your firstborn child. <laughs> you know, anything you've got. We take old stamps. <laughs> really old. Back before, they were all forever stamps. I guess at one point they were like, you know what? Nobody uses the mail anymore, so we're not going to keep raising it a half cent a year. Like, people don't care. <laughs> they don't care. We got a great show lined up for you. Our guest is laughing with us here in the studio, so let's get started. on Lost and Rewound in our fourth season, and he's returned with more clips. He is a fantastic musician, artist, and just generally awesome guy. 
Welcome again to the show, Matt Finch. How's it going, guys? Welcome Glad. back. Welcome yeah. back. Glad to be in the basement. We were supposed to have you for our 50th episode. Right. Could you tell us why you couldn't make it? Can you talk about it at all? It was basically... He likes to blow up spots. Yeah, I was, I was blowing up <laughs> spots. No, we, uh... we, hey, blowing up spots since we started this, right? <laughs> I work for Make Music New York, and, uh, well, I... That was why Ryan... I mean, not, not why, but Ryan was on here talking about that. Oh, uh, the... See... Oh, man, that could have been a great that's connection. That's so uh, amazing. Yeah, basic, what? Yeah, the, the timing of that is kind of... That is beautiful, actually. <laughs> um, so Make Music New York's a cool festival. It's a citywide thing that, you know, we got, like, thousands of performers, hundreds of venues, and that day... Uh, We'd had our slot scheduled, but then there was like a conference call I got put on, and I had to talk to some people, and it just I couldn't get out of it. But we put together a cool event that day, so that's June twenty first. Um, anyone in the radio land who uh, wants to participate or be part of Make Music New York, you can just sign up on the website, which is makemusicny.org. Or just show up and participate. It's a great festival, June 21st. Yeah. And it's all over the place, too. Ryan, when he was here, was chatting about where he will be performing. And I guess, what did he say? He said Harlem and he'll be in Park Slope. Word. Cool. And you will be performing as well, or do um, you, are you just on the organizational side of it? Uh, this year I'm on the organizational side. I won't be performing, but there will be different events that I'll uh, be kind of leading and participating in. Um, those have yet to be fully uh, assigned, but... But I'll be out there on the streets. Obviously, there's always room for this to be. But you play a number of instruments, and mm-hmm. you certainly have enough uh, carte blanche at this juncture with your association with the show to come in and play music when you do a, a show like a radio show like this. Do you normally get asked to come in and play music? You know, I actually have not been asked to play music. There was there was one radio show, um, WBAI. That's you were on WBAI recently. Yeah, I've never seen that. Yep. I was uh, um, hosting a radio hour where I just played some tracks. I, what I was basically doing was promoting Slash Song, which is the label that uh, um, I co-run with Adam Cuthbert and uh, Dan Rohde. And then I was playing stuff from Odd Gift Records, which is a local Brooklyn-based – well, Brooklyn and Boston – they got artists going uh, back and forth, a lot of cool indie musicians, and then was also playing a little bit of Bang on a Can music, and then some of my friends from Detroit as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Slash Sound now has a lot more exposure because BAI has a really good amount of networking in the independent arts community. Yeah, and it kind of blew around. Our, our website stats shot up that day. It was awesome. great. Yeah. Uh, it seems like things have really started to come up. Matt Finch for you. <laughs> yeah, things, things have, uh, yeah, things are working out. Things I, uh, have all been coming up. Matt Finch. Yeah, I've been fortunate to uh, connect into some communities a little further. Like one, like So Percussions is awesome. Uh, percussion Quartet. Uh, I started working for them. Um, a little more permanently than what I was doing pr- uh, previous. Are they uh, they're Brooklyn based percussion group? Yeah, they're yeah they're uh, like yeah they're amazing actually. You should go check their website out too. Sopercussion dot com and just like buy all their music. It's amazing. They do a lot of contemporary classical stuff, but then they also merge um, this like kind of indie rock scene, like uh, partnering with groups like Buchengase, uh, the National, a bunch of Brassland artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so what? How many members are in the band, and what 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 kind of music is it exactly? So it's a it's a quartet. Uh, there's four of them, and uh, they perform percussion music in kind of a minimalist aesthetic. Last night, however, um, at National Sawdust, they did a performance of uh, their album Admit the Noise, and they had 20 members throughout the performance like playing um, simultaneously, sometimes on and off, from vocals to synths to marimbas to vibraphones, bass drums, like little pianos. They had a guitarist. I mean, anything you can think of in the percussion world, and then it kind of like... They even had a modular synth at one point going on. It was a killer show, actually. The crowd loved it. I loved it. After Party was great. Yeah. National Sawdust. Where is that? That's in Bushwick or where? No, National Sawdust is in Williamsburg, right on uh, North Sixth and Wythe. That is 
right there, right in the thick of it. Yeah. And what kind of crowd is it at this show? Is it like a lot of people who are just like not even expecting what to even be seeing there? Or is it a lot of people who know about this music and they seek it out? Oh, people seek it out. Like, so percussion has a really strong reputation and it, uh, it cascades between all uh, age ranges. It's pretty great. You get kind of like... This older crowd that is like really into the contemporary scene and like is supporting, and then you also get this younger crowd who's like kind of into the whole downtown minimalist vibe, and so percussion is like carrying that torch on to the next generation, and you get the whole crowd there is awesome. The seats were completely packed, um, people were standing, the upper room was full, so yeah, it was a killer show, all ages. We didn't really get a chance last time to chat about your music so much uh, in the now. You go by a moniker. Yes. And it's M-O-T-H? Yep. It's, uh, yeah, so Moth is uh, what it is, but it's an acronym, and it means Music of the Hue. Uh, music of the Hue. Yeah. When I was growing up, I uh, really f- fell in love with, like, loop pedals and delay pedals, and I used to just kind of, like, sit and, like, tap on my instrument and, like, loop it, and then after a while, I just kind of grow into this kind of, like, humming drone, but it was, like, colorful. I, I saw it as colorful, heard it as colorful, so I, I started that acronym. When did you purchase said delay pedals much further into the time from when i started i actually started playing music in handbells <laughs> yeah i think we, we <laughs> yeah, talked exactly. about that ding, ding, ding. exactly and then that whereas like, we were playing the recorder jimmy right hot cross buns you know how that is did we talk about warriors come out and play Yes. Which is the only thing you should ever learn on that. Yeah, it's, it's, handbells. <laughs> and you should have a whole choir of people doing it. <laughs> so you started on the handbells yeah. uh, and then eventually moved on to guitar. But, and yeah, then... but there was a saxophone and bass on the way. Yes. Um, so I was doing alto sax and like the concert band, wind instrument. That was real cool. I was naive and thought that the alto sax couldn't hang with my other friends though, you know. I'm going to this school playing alto sax, got some other friends at other schools rocking out on string instruments, and I'm just like, man, no one plays a saxophone. This instrument sucks. So I picked up the bass, started jamming, and it wasn't until like years and years down the road that I got into jazz where I was like, oh, dude, saxophone's a fucking cool instrument. <laughs> yeah. It's super cool. The jazz music! <laughs> it's uh, of all of the woodwinds. It is the coolest. The coolest. Actually, <laughs> did you know that there's actually a, a website that lists all... 80s songs that have saxophone oh. in them. It's a comprehensive <laughs> list between 1980 and 1989, all songs with saxophones. So everything from the Hollow Notes to the George Michael and everywhere in between. Mike and the Mechanics. And like the guy like rates them. He like, this is a terrible saxophone solo versus this is an excellent saxophone solo. This is an okay saxophone See, solo. It, it's, I feel like that's like a cool thing to be able to like break out an instrument like in a situation, you yeah, know? And yeah. like the same way, you know, you just come into a party and you're like, hey guys, I know some guitar. And you know, people are like, oh, who's this guy? Play a little sax, you know? Oh, yeah. Like I got a buddy of mine, good guy named uh, Hef, and he plays trumpet. Mm-hmm. And he comes and he breaks out. And people are just like, "Oh, what?" And he's just like very, very smooth with the trumpet and stuff. But then he has a buddy of his the same way that brings out the sax, oh, yeah. and even him, and he's just kind of like gives the sax guy a look like, "Oh, this sax motherfucker!" <laughs> I sense that my stealing game. my sax glory, <laughs> all my glory, man. I, I sense that when you have an instrument that's that enigmatic. Not to say that saxophones are very obscure, but when you're a kid and you're listening to music that you're into. I guess that's the disconnect behind being somebody who appreciates music versus being somebody who's playing music 
and I never learned how to play an instrument that well. I tried playing guitar, and uh, as mentioned in the past, I have uh, unsuccessfully managed to go my entire life as a music fan with, at the same time, having this interest in playing music. And I will constantly play instruments that I don't know how to play, including Casio like we did last week. <laughs> I don't know how to play the piano. And I must say, it must be interesting to have that experience of playing an instrument that you, for all accounts, could very much be into jazz, be very much into um, swing or ska, but at the same time, you're at an age where none of your other friends might be listening to that. Exactly. So what do I give up to be into the music that I'm playing? I'd be very lonely, probably, as opposed to <laughs> if I'm like into what everybody else is into, and then I can just play guitar and then join somebody's band because that we're listening to all the same stuff. Exactly. No, and, that, and that's exactly what happened. And so, but and I realized all my friends were drummers and guitarists, but there was no bassist. So I was like, that must be my role. That, that's that's <laughs> your calling. Exactly. So I picked up those strings, played that for a while, and then once I fell in love with the bass, which is like truly, I think my the root of my musical language is is very much in the bass language, I started like realizing how much I love harmonies and that it's just, I couldn't function that well with the, with the bass, right? You got four strings, your chords are all kind of basic. So then I like moved to the guitar, got bored with that. And then I was like, all right, how can I up this? How can I just like do something else with it? And that's when I got the delay pedal. That was like my senior year in high school. You said there was a delay pedal and what was the other one? It was a delay and a distortion about those at the same time. It was magical, and then I was like, all right, but then, like, how do I do more with this? And so then I got that loop pedal so I could, like, lay down some chords or some swells and like, kind of, like, play melodies over it, and and then it's kind of history. It kind has of. sort of the same likening to a DJ buying his first MPC. Totally, yeah. It's, like, it's unlocking that creative on-the-spot composition where you can make decisions that interact with how your sound works versus, like, you know, when I'm writing with pen and paper – I can write it down, erase it, and which is great, but it's doesn't. It's not the same feel. It's not alive. It's it's dead on the page. But when you're actually in a loop pedal, we're working with an organism, and it's pretty fun. Do you have a good ear for music to the point where you could hear something and be able to translate it without having to necessarily have the music in front of you? I would say that I can't. I'm not. I don't. I don't have like the perfect pitch thing. I got this thing called relative pitch where I can hear what's going on and understand it. So if I have my instrument with me, I can jump right in and play. But I don't have that skill set to, like, immediately transcribe what's going on. That's where, like, some computers will kind of come in handy. I'll, like, slow it down, hear note to note, and then, then write it out. Wasn't it only something like 15 or 18% of American musicians are born with perfect pitch and you just are born with it? Well, What's that? I don't know. I kind of disbelieve it. I think, well, you know, perfect pitch kind of suggests that, the like, the Western notation is somehow, like the only thing going on because you go to other countries they might view what we consider as our like 12 note system to kind of be ugly in comparison to their 48 note system you know you got those microtones and those ways of playing with chords and coloring timbres that uh, a lot of the classical history kind of like leaves out and rejects that that is an interesting perspective to that note are you finding yourself these days or were you involved at all with playing with anybody who was taught that different system from from other countries? Yes, but not so much in a tonal way. I studied composition throughout my undergraduate studies. And yeah, you meet people that are interested in a lot of different things there. But uh, prior to school, the people that I really fell in line with were uh, these people in Detroit who were running drum circles. 
and that drum circles. Oh yeah, it was nuts. It'd be on uh, um, Woodward, and I cannot think of the crossroad right now, but it was this like hippie commune collective. Yes. Yeah, and they would the, uh, the, the infamous one that you talked about the last time. No, you were so here? that that was Vine Collective. That was in Kalamazoo on the other side of the Got state. Got it. So this but is in Detroit. There was another collective. Exactly. And called. Scott, um, uh, I don't. All I know is Doctor Bob was the, was the guy. Doctor Bob was the main dude. Um, you know. Of course, there's a Doctor Bob. <laughs> yeah. uh, where did he get his degree? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was online. <laughs> no, but, uh, Just call me the Dr. Bab. It was an open drum circle. So um, there would be times where it was a weekly thing. And there would be times where there would be a good 20 to 40 people playing drums at the same time on this road. Like cars passing, just the energy. And it would go from like... 6 p.m. to 2 in the morning or until, like, the neighbor was like, all right, I've had enough. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> it was nuts. It was, like, a trance-like experience, and it was it was cathartic, you know, meditative for a lot of people. And some people came just to kind of hang out. But It was there that you were meeting musicians from all sorts of walks of exactly. life and not necessarily that of the stateside variety. The commune also like brought people in from uh, different countries and would, it would be a place for people to stay if they were like in the somehow connected to that community. So I'd meet people who were only in America like you know, a couple months by the time I'd met them. So they have a whole different perspective on what's going on, especially with music. And I find that the most common language between all music isn't notes. It's, uh, it's the rhythms. Like it's movement. That's the most common part, I think. Have you traveled around a lot around the world? Around the world? No, no. I've, uh, I've been to Canada <laughs> and that's how's yeah. that maple that's syrup a start. Oh, that's a start. Yeah. whatever man that's good enough do you see no, you yourself gotta, that's not good enough i'm <laughs> yeah. gonna say you got to get out there and you got to see more thank you I, i'm not going push to yourself lie. we're young people man yeah. i personally haven't left the country in a decade yeah and i'm thinking to myself like i gotta get out of this piece like right. i really gotta go because as much as i think oh you know i expanded my mind when i was young we may think that we're, you know, moving on and progressive and this and that, but you got to yeah. see other places. You got to uh, experience other things. Especially when you're an artist, there's a lot of inspiration you can pull from just your everyday travels. And when you're going outside of your normal everyday life, I would imagine that that sort of increases tenfold. So if you're a musician and you have always been very intrigued by the different meter system that exists in other countries, I can only imagine like uh, when our guest Nick Zimmerman was here and he was talking about his experiences in Cambodia. And yeah, he got really into all the Cambodian music and he's like, you guys know what's up. They, are, they were on some other, some, some other yeah. shit basically, you know, and that's, that's what beautiful. it was. Is there somewhere that you would like to visit more than anywhere? Yeah. I, mean, I guess if, if we had to be specific, just to soak in the culture, the music, the arts out there. Mm, that is a good question. My mind gets kind of split. I, I just want to go to like Africa and like see an Aboriginal type of setup where people are viewing music as a part of nature and ceremony and ritual and way of life. Like I would love to see music being interacted with that way. But another part of me wants to go to Korea and check out the K-pop scene. Um, I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's just nuts because it's so commercialized and it's so part of this consumerism and this commodity on like a whole nother level than America. And part of me would just kind of want to see that infrastructure in person and how it's affecting the people. Because, you know, music's interesting like that. It's this sacred, beautiful, philosophical, out there thing. And it's also like a way to make money. It's a way to like influence people. That really strikes me a lot because it makes a lot of sense that you're not necessarily out there trying to perform constantly you're out there running shows because you're more interested in music and society absolutely and how it interacts and how music affects their everyday life i agree with that 100 percent. that's really cool man. yeah 
Talk to us a little bit about uh, what you brought with you today. I know we will get more time in the next half hour to listen to it, but Mm -hmm. I am under the impression that you brought your own stuff today that I have not heard at all. Normally, I like to be like, I'm going to listen to this stuff to preview, but no. You brought your own shit today, man. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so uh, um, this is a tape that falls right in line with the other tape that I brought. It's me in high school. Um, I believe this is, again, like 2008, 2009. This was earlier than the stuff that you a little bit, the yeah, A little time. bit earlier, yep. Because that was right after. Exactly. So that was when I was going on this like journey to figure myself out. And what this is, is there's returning characters that are in these tapes from the other tapes. For context, for people who didn't get a chance to listen to the episode of which, if you go on our website, uh, you will see it's the episode entitled Drug Rugs. Speaking about the hippies. Refresh us a little bit about the cast of characters that make up this tape and subsequently the tape that you brought before. The returning characters are Leslie, Chris, and Paul. They're like kind of in the front end of this. And this whole tape is kind of an interesting retrospect on people in suburbia and like the weird little shenanigans that go on. There's some drugs involved. There's some drinking. There's people wandering around. There's me being just fucking annoyed (laughs) with having to go to work. There's like all these little documentative moments where I think what was really captured here is that kind of restless boredom that exists in suburbia. You grew up in Detroit in suburbia. Yeah, the metro Detroit area is what it's, I think, officially called. So, yeah. Was there a name for that neighborhood specifically? The neighborhoods that this exists in, these tapes, um, are predominantly in a place called Sterling Heights. Sterling Heights. Yes. I have family from Detroit. I'm not very familiar with the neighborhood uh, nomenclature. I just know that they live in a place called Oakland. Maybe Oakland. Oh, Oakland. Is it Oakland? Oakland County. Oakland County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, that's what it is. Cool, yeah. That that area is probably like a good like half hour away from where I'm at in a lot of these tapes. And super Jewish. Yes. But that's the thing. Like, I didn't know these folks uh, in my family until much later on, and they uh, evidently have been living there all this time, and it is a very predominantly Jewish neighborhood. So that was the only area like, I got a chance to really check out. But then again, I did get to see the city a little bit. So there's only so much city. Uh, I, I remember I saw, like, yeah. the, he- the Heidelberg Project or something. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Um, unfortunately, something that just closed recently um, was the uh, – or maybe it's not closed or it's, like, shut down for a period of time. I don't have the full story, but there's this place called the Russell – industrial complex and there was like a home to a lot of artists a lot of good shows a lot of creative communities a lot of people ran their like diy shops out of there and right now it's uh closed not entirely sure why and it's uh, frustrating to see that happen because it does kind of shut down a lot of the community but you know the community is strong in detroit and they'll push through that you know that won't hold them back do you feel a sense of urgency eventually down the line to organize something out in Detroit, you know, being that you're here doing mm-hmm. the art that you are now and seeing Detroit with the inarguable resurgence of music and art oh, out there. Yeah. yeah, I know. Absolutely. There's, um, whether it be something like a residency, there's this really great organization called Spread Art. Um, they hold a three-month residency where uh, essentially they'll take on any type of artist, whether it be uh, music, theater, like spoken word, writing, and they offer um, – Three months and weekly meetings with uh, various local artists. And uh, at the end of the three months, you you show for it on some level. You create a performance. You create um, a forum. You, you create something that is kind of a culmination of that time and space that they offered you. And that is something I'm looking forward to involving myself in. And beyond that, um, I just want to start putting on more shows in Detroit. I've got a couple of friends who have been running 
some great shows. One's called The Freakish Pleasures. Really great community of people. A um, little more DJ dance orientated, but uh, um, they do some pretty stellar stuff, and uh, I would love to get involved with them and expand on their concepts a little bit. Yeah. Did Matthew Finch of Sterling Heights ever envision that he would be playing music to drum circles or even, you know, to this point now in, like, the DIY art spaces? To some degree, I think I was blinded in high school. I think I was really, uh, um, you know, what are those things you put on dogs where they can't see their peripherals? And I think I was kind of honed into what life should or shouldn't be and always felt uh, restless and wanted to escape that. So I didn't really know what my future would be. And it wasn't until I started getting those chances to break out, like you see in the last tapes, where I actually started to understand that, yeah, art, doing it for free, working with nonprofits, finding communities of passionate people who really care about what's going on rather than trying to purely monetize it. Once I realized that that was a reality, I knew absolutely that that's where I wanted to be. When we come back, let's dig deep into these delicious, delicious sounds of the Matt Finch archives. This is Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. And it's involved. The house is filthy. So filthy. Listen, get out of your house. You can clean it up another time on June 10th because there is an event going on that day. Brooklyn Pride is turning 21 this year, y'all. And the theme this year is equality, no exceptions. There are great events during Brooklyn's Pride Week, June 5th through the 10th. A documentary of the first openly trans FDNY firefighter, queer comedy, and a full day of activities on Saturday, June the 10th. And if that isn't enough, because there's so much going on in that day, there will also be a 5K in Prospect Park. After that, a festival, entertainment, family space, and parade, all on Fifth Avenue. My hood, Pride Week in the city is real, it's legit, and in Park Slope, it's religion to a lot of people. It goes crazy. So they switched it. It's not on uh, Prospect Park West anymore. It's on Fifth Ave now. Look at that. They're moving up up on the world. They switched it down, right? Last few years, Fifth Avenue's been crazy. Yeah. I remember it used to be back in the old days when I was a kid, it was uh, was by the Park side. So check out our full week of events and learn about getting involved on our website at brooklynpride.org. We are here this week with Matt Finch, musician, music artist, M-O-T-H, Moth. Extraordinaire. From Slash Sound. From Representing Detroit, Slash Sound, Michigan. From Detroit, Michigan. A returning guest and kind provider of clips. Getting back to this, because we're going to finally get a chance to hear some of this, of which I'm really excited about. Everything that you've contributed is from a microcassette tape? Yep, microcassettes. Yep. You and your microcassettes, man. <laughs> I'm really intrigued. We always strive to find the oldest stuff we can get, and the stuff that you've provided is not the oldest. But microcassette recorders are very, very specific. Yeah. That's like what you use to interview people. It's exactly. Like, or it's, eavesdrop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the James Bond of recording yourself. <laughs> Finch, Matt Finch, talk to us about the content. The very first thing that I want to play, that's actually at the end of the tape. And when I found it, I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. It's just me alone actually just like playing my bass. As you mentioned before, did I ever imagine myself when I was younger playing out into the world and doing these things? Like, I think the self that's playing the bass had no notion of what was going to happen. 
I just kind of want to play it and put it out there for a split second, and then we'll get into the story that evolves on this tape. basement in michigan just playing the hanging bass. out in a basement playing bass i always ad- yeah a bass fish i always <laughs> admired bass players growing up just because i thought that it was probably the most deceptively difficult instrument to play because it's such an important instrument to play the rhythm's a huge part of it the function harmonically of how the bass sits in most sonic platforms is uh, it's crucial it's like with no pun intended it's key like it's it's what's going on i think there's this like weird stereotype that uh oh man once the bass solo starts like people kind of leave the room like like oh who cares but a really good bassist you'll you'll hear the melody you'll hear the chords you hear the whole thing but they're just playing one note at a time but because they're playing the right notes at the right time and, and being very specific with how they're leading the ear did you have uh, inspirations on the um, base, base inspirations. Oh yeah, my base inspirations are wacky though. It started with like uh, uh, Victor Wooten, Primus, like Les Claypool, oh, yeah, that, Chili Peppers. I was onto the slapping stuff, and then I heard this band called Nuclear Rabbit, a way out there trip of a band, similar to like Mr. Bungle, like oh, oh, Mr. Yeah. Bungle, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the the bassist, he's Gene Bodden, he's playing this like twelve string bass, as a m- maniac on it, and I'm like, wow, I want to strive to be that. And then one day I see his solo work. It's him just like tapping the bass, this beautiful, beautiful classical sound. And I was just like, how do I do that? And that's kind of what I was working on in that little clip was, was tapping and trying to create melody and rhythm. You know, you're familiar with Weather Report, right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the bass. Jacques Pistorius. Jacques Pistorius. Yeah. Phenomenal. There's actually this, uh, this band that um, I was really into when I was growing up. It's a metal band with jazz bass. Ooh. Yeah, called Atheist, and it is really, really good. I will have to check that you, out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. For sure, man. I mean, it's bass-driven. Like all Where are music. they based out of? <laughs> uh, I can tell you I know nothing at all about the band, but that was that was so bad. Now I, I caught it like one second too late. <laughs> I'm, I'm accidentally funny. They're not American, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And they hadn't played in New York in like five years, and I was walking down through Times Square, and they were playing at B.B. King's, and they happened to be playing when I walked by. And this is my father, like, yeah. years ago. I was like, Dad, that band, I know that band. He goes, let's go. Let's just go see him. Let's just go do it. Every time I, I do my dad's voice, it's nothing at all of what he sounds like. But <laughs> so when I meet your dad, I'm not going to okay. be able to hear this awesome voice. <laughs> um, I don't know. People always say that he sounds cool when they meet him. You've met him before. I've met him once. He gave me your card. It was laminated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like If my you ever dad. want my son to do a tour, here. Check it out. Not only would he hand you a laminated card, he's the kind of guy that would hand you a magnet and be like, put this on the fridge. 
Well, we need those these days. Can't can't lose it now. <laughs> if I ever come to your place and I don't sit on the fridge, I'm gonna know something's up. <laughs> Trust is lost. I, I guess I brought up uh, Jacques Pistorius because it reminds me uh, what you were mentioning with uh, this other uh, bassist about how if they're front and center and if it's just them. It's yeah. easier to be paying attention to them versus when there's many other components of a band that, yeah, yeah. from what you're telling me, I guess, the legend is is that the bass is the least attractive yeah. when it comes to solos, especially in jazz, which I don't agree with at all. Not but anymore, especially after Jacko. Definitely look at it. It's J-A-C-O and then Pistorius. Pistorius. <laughs> anyway, getting back to this, yes. getting back to the bass, you, you alluded that this was uh, part one of another part that you were about to play in a little bit. Yeah, so like basically um, that was just at the end of the tape. So what this tape is kind of a small document of is me going to work, kind of being upset about it, feeling real dull, being way overdramatic about not liking it. And then I go on this kind of small adventure with some friends. The small adventure? A good day and a half adventure, yeah. Um, so 36-hour adventure. So like a Dora the Explorer style. Yeah. Small adventure. Yeah, it's a small one. Can you imagine Dora the Explorer not sleeping for 36 hours? I would not want to be around her. Uh, why is it okay for this kid to be like escorted around by a monkey? For 36 hours? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a fox chasing her through the woods? Like, who, who why would, is this okay? Who would win in a fight, Lilo or Dora? Lilo and Stitch or, or Dora? Um... Lilo, but Dora's sort of lifeless and creepy, so I don't know. That that could be like all kinds of creepy strength, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all go, good. go on. Go on. Okay. Uh, These but, are important matters, though. That must be addressed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the integrity of Dora. <laughs> I used to have a station wagon, so I'm like uh, sitting in a station wagon. I used to work at a party city in oh, high school. Goodness. I wish that it was its own city. Yeah. Like, who would be the mayor of party city? Yo, I've been into a party <laughs> city once, it's, and yeah. it was like maybe like a year or two ago. The place just makes me grow up. Yeah, dude, it's like the grossest gas station of party stores. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Pretty bad. And their, and their commercials make me want to throw the TV. I quickly did research. Um, well, actually, I had my assistant do me do research while while you guys were talking a moment ago. Oh, and nice. uh, were your assistant? Yeah. So I found out. Um, yeah, her name is um, Phone Phonia. <laughs> <laughs> She's from Eastern Europe. <laughs> and uh, she I found goes, out she has a different meter system. Exactly. Nice. And I found out that band Atheist is uh, they're almost not from the U.S. They're from Florida. Oh. And they're all- <laughs> <laughs> I see. All right. And well, they won't be in the U.S. soon enough. <laughs> exactly. In Twenty and, years. Um, and I was. Correct Correct in that they hadn't played in a long time. They'd broken up in 1994, and I saw their first performance, which was back in 08. They regrouped. 08's a good is a good number. 36 hours yeah. in 2008 were spent doing what? After I got off my shift, I like went and hung out with some friends. We were being bored suburban kids hanging out. We were smoking a little weed, just chilling, talking about like philosophy and things and then i leave that friend group i kind of do another quick shift at work and i meet up with some other friends and uh we take a small dose of psychedelics and wander around suburbia and while that's happening some friends call us and they need us to pick up beer to bring it to this party someone drank one of their dad's beer that can't happen because then the dad will know that there were friends over Drinking it. Classic sitcom yeah. premise. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Got to replace the single beer because dad will know. Yeah. Dad doesn't care about the kids, but he definitely cares about the number of beers in the fridge. Exactly. <laughs> it needs to be six. And, uh, um, and then it's kind of just, yeah, clips and moments throughout through that whole experience. 
Let's hear more of what was documented. Great. So, yeah, this is that depressing moment of staring out of my car at work. Why would they be watching them if... Sitting in my car, parked in this parking lot, staring at a brick wall. Structure. As the moments grow closer to four, dread overcomes in waves. Consumes me. Despair. This job. Consumed by dread, dude. (laughs) Only only a teenager would say something like that. I'm impressed with how low your voice sounds there. I mean, not to say that your voice is higher now, but it sounds like your voice is... Uh, ultra sullen back then. Oh yeah, no. he, was Not the prod- by, he was consumed by dread. Dude. Consumed by dread. That, that's a consumed by dread voice. Yeah, absolutely. All right, all right, yeah. I can dig it. When I when I was in high school, I had a job working at my mom's office that was really boring, mm-hmm. where I was uploading photographs into uh, a computer database, and it was of this photographer who had died, and they got all they they like bought all the photographs wow, from his family. Awesome. Yeah, and it actually ended up being really cool stuff. So it was boring at the start, and then as it went on, it was like it started getting cooler and cooler and cooler. Yeah, and it basically. <laughs> so at first, I was so bored. It was the same way. I'd be there like, ah, because you'd like every photo because it was a slide scanner, and every photo took like three minutes to scan. Yeah, yeah. Most of them I didn't know the celebrities because they were all taken in the eighties, mm-hmm. and it was a guy who would go and photograph um, like backstage at concerts, oh, and cool. um, and like just parties and hanging out with celebs and stuff like that wow. in the eighties. And the one picture where I was just like, oh, man, like, I can't believe what I'm looking at right now. And it was um, it was Ozzy Osbourne whipping his dick out. (laughs) (laughs) And it was and he was just it was obvious the guy was like sort of like paparazzi. And he was like, hey, you want a picture, huh? (laughs) And I remember that I went and told the boss because I was like, I think we found a gem. He used to tell me if you see any in there that you really feel Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, as a kid. They'll sell more, maybe. Like, let me know. And I did tell him, and he was just like, oh, man. That is quite a gem, and something that, unfortunately, you will never be able to unsee. Um, No, you know. I. It's burned in. Yeah. <laughs> it got burned in very yeah. quickly. A hole in your yeah. brain is saved for Ozzy's junk. Let's just say some people maybe were at that concert and saw him biting a bat, and that's the most vivid image they have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, between like Alice Cooper, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Guar, I mean, a lot of oh, these yeah. acts that are doing things that are specifically designed to make things completely unforgettable. Yeah. There was this point in high school where I was hanging out with this dude who I remember because we were friends on MySpace also afterwards, <laughs> and he had this photo of him like running out of a venue. His thing was he was in a band, but he would only perform in every venue once because he wanted to get banned from every venue he performed at. Wow. And he, would, and he would take a crap on stage oh, man. during every performance. Cool, man. And yeah. I remember that somehow like, I was friends with this guy. <laughs> he was like in his 20s or 30s, and I was a teenager. Yeah. It was me and him and then like drag queens. It was so weird. No, I was, they'll have no idea why. This fun. makes no sense. And I remember thinking back and being like, why was I there? Because I remember that, like, they would always be like, "Oh, you're too young for something like this," and they would push me to the side. Well, he so, took a crap on stage, or, or something that something crazy would happen, and it wasn't ever like I was in danger or something. But then they'd come back out later and be like, "All right, let's get out." Of here. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and I'd be like, man, you guys are so crazy. I remember not wanting to be like them, but I think it's one of those things that when you grow up in New York City, sometimes you just want to be around all of the madness, and you're just like, aha, feed fire to the madness, watch it burn. <laughs> you just like want to, you just want to consume the energy of what's happening around you. Like this is so crazy. I'm like, you know? We call that FOMO now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, basically. So speaking of the FOMO, yeah. the Whatever this trip that you were doing the day after you finished up work, were you supposed to be at work that day? My shift probably started at 4. I was, like, closing. The hours went till 10 or something. After 10, I then head over to my friend Paul's house where Leslie, Alex, and Chris and Paul are all hanging out. This next thing is just us kind of talking and uh, having just, like, a philosophical dialogue and then it's after this morning, then the morning after that, I do another quick shift, um, which I don't have like a recording of. Um, and then I go into the longer part of kind of escaping suburbia, if you will. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So are you suggesting that your mind is busier when you're high? Actually, I... I'm not even sure. It just might be that I. No, you know I mean, what I mean. I, like, I know what you're saying. Like you're like you're like kind of like your like your ego, but like not to an extreme. Just like you start to think too much about certain. You start to overanalyze stuff, or something. Like your mind is almost worse off after you're high. But like. I think it's. Uh, it might seem that way, but I think that maybe when I'm high, I'm just aware of like how, uh, how like how fucking much I think all the time, like. Uh, it just brings like that little thing like in the back of my head like like kind of to the forefront where I'm like wow you know like that, that it like magnifies it somehow. The reason I'm like asking you is because like yesterday I smoked weed and I like started talking and then somebody like made it uh like I think cause I think that this was because like me and Sandra had this like, huge discussion about like uh like being constructed to everyone and like making sure that when are you because you know when someone like when someone like bullshits or like acts like you know or something you can't like it's like it's a un or it's not constructive to like try to like prove them wrong and like yeah. like make them aware of that so yeah man yeah yeah exactly Took him a second to like get get that word out. But yeah, I mean, I think this like kind of falls right in line because it's you know, it's, it's talking about the ego and the constructs and kind of relates to, I think that same repressed feeling that you kind of feel inside consumerism when you don't see outside of it. You know, like if when you're I think you're young and you really think that your job's going to be um, where your life is going to be your job, and uh, um, I think that that this conversation was kind of interesting that it, that it happened later in that day, like, trying to talk about freeing yourself from those type of constructs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go to the next one. I think it's like a couple of these listened to together kind of the story reveals it. Yeah, I feel more. like there's more to this that, yeah. um, that we're not hearing. So exactly. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued because there's more. There's always more. In, 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 let's go down the rabbit hole. Saturday, July 25th. This morning I woke up there's really no sense of time around me bodies lay asleep wall covered in splattered paints with black and purple on a white surface 
looked around, saw the cup I had been drinking from the night before, last night. You could still see some opium residue at the bottom of the tea. We'd felt nothing, and our conversations flew like magic. And in between the bowls of marijuana and the smoke that teased and played with the air around us, we found something. We found a nice connection between me, Paul, Chris, Leslie, and Alex. A nice little comfort where we could lounge around and just communicate. Be humans connecting, talking, conversations, encapsulated in mere eye contact. And so on this morning I woke up, a sad wave of realization rushed over me faster than I could tell myself to breathe. And so it stopped me for a second and I wondered, is this next breath truly worth it? This next breath, which will take me a breath forward and a step forward to work, to Party City, after a night of that. <laughs> really <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> so melodramatic. Really awesome. It's sort of outside of what I feel like most people around that age would be doing in that scenario. Oh, shit. Because yeah. it's not necessarily people would just be like, oh, I'm just trying to feel it. And you weren't just trying to feel it. You were trying to examine yeah. why you were feeling it and how you were feeling it. And really trying to get it more. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think on some level I was uh, influenced by uh, um, like Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing type oh, sure. escapade where – I got that. Yeah, you know, he his whole thing is um, he's confronting the realization of the failure of the American dream by essentially like losing his mind within society. And I think there there's an appeal to that when you're young and, again, you're in these constructs and you, you, you come across these substances that – free you of those stresses for a period of time and you find people um, that you can connect with and you can, like it says, like find this little like bubble where you can just be in harmony together. Um, Now, you know, as you get older, you realize it's a type of escapism. You realize it's maybe not something you should fill all your time with. But when you're experimenting at those younger ages, um, it can really be freeing. And I think there's a lot of things that um, I became enlightened by through these experiences, for sure. I don't know if it's even possible for me to have thought that it could be something like recording after all the years I was recording, the day after I got high for the first time, and having such a pleasant and meaningful experience like that time that I got high for the first time, which was very close by to the house. I feel like it was just a very impressionable thing to be even taking what you learned from that experience in a heightened mind state, effectively, and then talking about it and putting yourself out of the box for a minute, just look at it at a bigger picture. Yeah. And you're, what, 17? 16? 16, 17, yep. Dude, I mean... You were smoking some really good shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, like so, so it goes goes a little further. So this next one is another one. We're, we're going to listen to it for a second, and uh, um, this one involves uh, something called lysergic acid. What? It's, Wait, sorry. What? Um, lysergic acid amide (LSA) is the is the acronym. It's a like a cousin uh, psychotropic to LSD. It's not as visual. It's like you're in a lucid dream, but there's no Martians coming down, no purple dinosaurs, Good. anything like that, right? It's I hope like, not. Yeah, it's all very uh, – um, just makes you feel very dreamlike. Okay. Yep, and so I meet up with some friends. He talks about work for a second, and then it goes on. So you'll see those themes kind of reoccur. I guess I should be calling Colin now. 
that made me think about in that clip was I think just this general idea that we have about middle America and the boredom that permeates mm-hmm. and how drugs is really the only thing that people really hold on to. And that's not to say that it is the way it is all the time and, no, and even until right. now, but it it just seems like at the end of the day, like this is what kids do. That's all they do is just do drugs and you know they and have, have sex and yeah. and work and are yeah. miserable with their jobs and, and fight clubs and yeah exactly split personalities and I don't mean to make yeah. it sound like overly generic but overall no, it, it it is real it's exactly and, and, what America well, is in a know, lot of cases still to this day all I was gonna say is that you know you're bringing it up like saying that this is something that happens only in middle America but oh. I lived in the city brother and when I was a kid I tell people the very first time when I was out at a party and somebody broke cocaine out I was like Yo, you were 12 enjoy. you were 11 or 12 right? I was, yeah I was 11 yeah. so I, it's, it's just everywhere it's just everywhere it's everywhere it's, it's, it's more pronounced in areas that are well I guess Detroit technically is urban so it would stand to reason yeah, yeah. that it counts just as much for Detroit as it does for somewhere like Brooklyn but uh, I think across the board why you're seeing such a even now in 2017 a huge opioid epidemic is because it's, it's a terrible dialogue that's being had right yeah. now and in it, smaller communities and it closes people off you, you asked me at the beginning of the show and I think it's a super powerful question you said like did you see yourself um, doing all this art doing these creative things this was the period of time where I did not see myself doing that fully not completely understanding and i think that's why people get trapped they get trapped in a mindset they get trapped in a concept um they're told to make money make sure that they can pay rent and uh, those stresses blind them from chasing passions in my personal journey once i realized that you don't need any substance to actually elevate your mind it's activity it's community it's people like that's how you elevate your mind and that's what you were doing you were doing a perfect uh service to yourself by documenting and recording something that i am all for especially considering that this is one of the reasons why i feel like we started this was to 
go on this journey to find those like yourself, Matt, who uh, did similar activities as sort of the, my anti-drug is recording everybody in everyday travel. <laughs> well, I think you learned, you figured out at a young age that it was just a substance and it, yeah. in that it was all like in front of you and it wasn't inside and yeah. that you weren't really going to gain something that you was, that was truly tangible. That you could take with you. Exactly. So you needed, you needed to, you needed to go further into that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to play just one more clip. Yeah. And let's do then, it. Uh, um, we'll talk about it afterwards. Let's do it. Why? Why so much? Why so much? Like, like, I, I clearly didn't even listen to half of that. There was like, one point where you said, yeah, as in, like, you were just saying it because you um, said it because you thought it made it sound like you were listening, but she asked you a question, and yeah was, like, not the right answer. <laughs> I don't know if you even noticed. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, six-pack of a bat. And cans. And cans? Yeah, if you want to come over, you can play beer pong with us, but we need the, the six pack first, because I'm fucked if we don't have the six pack. You guys, um, you guys can we come pack. and pick up money and then I can call some people? Hey, I can't. Okay, seriously, just do it. I guarantee I can get you money. Okay, well, let me call somebody and see if I can get some beer. Yeah. And after that, you can come over if you want, alright? Oh, wait, who's at your house? Me, Fisher, Andrew Morris, uh, Eric Nerskowski, Andrew. Tom O'Hollick is there? Why do they need yeah, it? Yeah, he's going out here like a silly. Why do you guys need a six pack? Like, why is what yeah. happened to your guys' six pack? Alright, so you can get back to me, pick up like a 12 pack of Bud Light and cans, would that be cool? I, I need Labatt Blue. Labatt Blue? Okay. So six pack of Labatt Blue. What other beer do you have if we come? Six pack. <laughs> what? Tomaholic had uh, Tom. Yeah, Tomaholic cannot get. Yeah, wow. <laughs> took he took the wrong beer out of the. Fridge. They clearly needed to complete the cocktail of all the shittiest <laughs> fucking budget beers they could find in order to create the Megazord. Dude, get to the bed, dude. After they combine all the beers together, they'll create like a huge Megazord. <laughs> It'll be like a new drinking game. 
Instead of Wise's Wizard, it'll be like a huge dragon made up like, of fucking bushes. Like the Vol- Voltron game. Life. Well, another another the great thing to Milwaukee do. worst was Milwaukee Ice. I hated it. Oh, you yeah. could also become Peace. a. Uh, you could also turn all the beer cans and the and the thirty rack boxes into um, a samurai outfit too. Oh right, right, yeah. You could cut the cans. Yeah, beer yeah. That's about as yeah, close yeah, yeah. to a Megazord as you can get, probably. Yeah. Because I mean, it was basically a robot samurai, wasn't it? Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, like one of them was a dinosaur, and one of them looked like a. One of them did look like a <laughs> robot dude with a sword that had like a headdress. You're wearing a Voltron thing. shirt. Let's just this say is, it was basically true. like yeah. a beer Voltron. Beer Voltron was. Yeah, was what they were see, trying the deal to of Voltron yeah. is no, so man. sweet. It's, it's the just... bat's gonna be the feet, okay? <laughs> so the thing about Voltron that was so great is it was just five tigers that just turned into a dude <laughs> with tiger hands and feet. <laughs> This is nothing like Transformers. Voltron <laughs> so, is just so corny. That's why I love That's it. That's such a slice of life. I love that, man. That like you don't ever get a chance to hear underage kids trying to figure out what beers to buy. Yeah, yeah I love that. The, Wait, does it come in cans? <laughs> No way! No way! This is six pack of cans. Oh wait! No way, buddy! That, that, that's probably why you're not allowed to exactly. buy beer before you join. When I was a kid, me can and my I get friends, a 12, can I get a sixteen pack? Of this we used beer? to argue about inane yeah. stuff all the time. Exactly, like, all the time. Wow! What what an incredible clips that you brought with you, Matt. And it really is nice to be hearing more introspectiveness uh, from the life that you lived. Uh, down in Sterling, out in Sterling Heights, mm-hmm. getting a little bit of uh, high school Matt Finch. Yeah. The, thanks the, for coming. <laughs> thanks for coming out, Matt. I really yeah. appreciate to have you. You yeah, have uh, being here. Make Music New York coming up soon. Yeah, and m- what else you got coming so, up? Yeah, so Make Music uh, New York June twenty first. That's happening. Um, everyone should just like pay attention to So Percussion. You could check out the website SoPercussion.com. Like. Um, there'll be events online and also just check, uh, um, just watch them as they um, continue to perform awesome percussion music. And then we also have uh, Slash Sounds doing some releases coming in the fall. So you go to slashsound.net. That'll be happening. And then it, the festival just actually ended. It's called Look and Listen Festival. It's another festival that I work with. That'll come back next year, but keep your eyes open for it. It's all contemporary classical music in galleries. This year we had uh, um, performances at pratt manhattan gallery we had it at brick in uh, downtown brooklyn and we also had one at the studio museum in harlem which like had some fantastic uh trombone quartet that just did this awesome awesome job but yeah the ever busy and musically talented matthew finch here on lost in rewound thanks so much again for keeping us company this week yeah man anytime join us next week we will be back here at 3 p.m with more exciting sounds of the past my name is alan my name is jimmy We'll see you, we'll hear you, you'll hear us next week here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'll see you. (laughs) Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. You guys were reminding me of the drum circle. exactly what it was like. Did somebody say tape takes place?